and welcome to the Fundamental Value Podcast, hosted by Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with leading analysts, traditional finance and digital asset firms, and investigate how leading minds in the cryptocurrency space, research, analyze, and quantify the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Marshall Beard, Chief Strategy Officer at Gemini. Marshall, it's great to have you on. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks for having me. So let's start, you know, I, I need to ask, you know, the experience pre-crypto, you were at Barstool from 2014 uh, for, a f- for a few years and as, a, as an advisor and then as Chief of Staff. So can you kind of talk to us about what, what that was like? And, and you were there before Barstool had actually taken on any institutional capital. So curious as to, you know, what that was like, the culture and, and working with Dave. Sure. Yeah. Uh, interesting times. I mean, my career is a barstool in Bitcoin, right? So it's a, been a fun journey. But no, I mean, I, I was an analyst when I graduated college and um, I absolutely hated it. Um, I was doing kind of ops, back office ops, and I sent a cold email to um, one of the barstool guys. This was when they were like six employees. This was uh, 10 years ago. And uh, he replied that night. I started the next day. Uh, I was doing content. I was selling advertisements and, uh, I did that for six or seven years. This was like, you know, when people were in individual cities, uh, before like everyone was in New York. Um, it was a pirate ship as they said back then. It still is, I think, a bit of a pirate ship. It was crazy. It was fun. A lot of fun. I mean, Dave's an interesting guy. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a one in a million kind of guy, right? He's built something pretty special with what he built, love him or hate him. Um, you can't deny what he built is, uh, is pretty incredible. And it's funny stuff. I think it's funny. Um, I don't follow as close anymore. It's been a while since I've, I've been there, but I still, you know, follow the guys on Twitter and, uh, and, and see what they're up to. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were talking about Donnie does in some of the old, uh, some of the old, you know, Cassie's still there, obviously, that, that have been around for a while. So it's a lot of fun. But let's get, in, let's get into crypto. I could ask you questions about Barstool this entire time, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you want to transition into crypto. So why leave Barstool, right, which at the time was this really fast growing, you know, uh, you know media brand had, had just raised from the churning group and, and decide to go into crypto and, and why Gemini? Yeah, so... Um... My last role at Barstool, I was the chief of staff. So I reported to the CEO, this woman, Erica Nardini. She had come to Barstool from AOL at the time. And when I was kind of like taking that role of chief of staff, I, I hadn't really heard of it before. I've heard of it in like politics or maybe military, but in technology companies, this was five years ago, chief of staff wasn't a, a known thing. It is nowadays. I think a lot of startups have these kind of chief of staff roles, but I remember Googling you know, what is a chief of staff? And I saw an article by this uh, gentleman, Scott Amenta, actually, who who founded this New York City chief of staff group. And at the time, there was like six people and he emailed me, he goes, hey, every month we kind of get together at each other's startups and eat pizza, drink beers and, you know, talk about scaling startups, how to spin up HR departments, how to set up executive meetings, how to do whatever, right? And uh, I joined and I met the chief of staff to Winklevoss Capital. So uh, the founders of Gemini, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, they have a family office and the chief of staff, this woman, Beth Kurtzen, she recruited me into Gemini. So this was late 2017. I had a career in finance, right? I started my career as an analyst. I went to business school. I, I, I did M&A. I did uh, consulting for a few years. And then I went into media at Barstool. And 
eh, media kind of wasn't really like my thing. I liked finance. I was an early uh, crypto adopter. I, you know, acquired Bitcoin maybe 2013 on Coinbase. Um, you know, I was trading equities at the time and, you know, I read about a wallet and an address and all these things that I had never heard about. And it was just piqued my interest. I bought Bitcoin pretty early. Nothing crazy. Um, didn't hold it through uh, too long. But, but you know, so I, I had known about crypto. I'd been involved in Bitcoin. I was always interested in it. This opportunity to kind of go back into finance into something that I was interested in. And, you know, uh, there was a great opportunity. So joined Gemini, maybe, I don't know, 30 or so employees at the time um, and, and left Barstool for it. And what was your original role when you, when you joined Gemini? Oh, gosh. I was, at the time, we didn't have an HR department. Um, you know, we didn't have a legal department at the time. I was a finance associate, something like that. Yeah. Got it. A little bit of a jack of all. It's obviously very different, right? I mean, being 30, I mean, how big is, how big is the firm now? I don't know, 800 plus, I think, something like that. That's, it, that, I'm sure it, it feels, you probably don't really remember the 30 people at this point because it's probably just such a blur at this point. Like, I'm, I'm curious as to. No, so I, look, I, 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 at, at Barstool, maybe 10 of us at the time when I started and a few hundred by the time I left. So scaled Barstool, you know, pretty, pretty rapidly through some right. funding rounds and subsequent kind of acquisition into uh, public ownership from Penn National. And then here at Gemini, yeah, 30 or so um, to 800. No, I, I mean, no, you remember the OGs kind of, right? Like there's still a lot of folks here that have been here since kind of day one. Uh, you know, Gemini has been around for eight years, right? They, there's people that are still here from like eight years ago, right? And so um, you remember these folks, they're still here kind of, uh, they kind of lead the culture and stuff. So I do remember most most folks and, and a lot of them actually are still here. And so... Obviously, Gemini has grown a lot since you joined the firm, but but so has the crypto market. So, how have you seen the crypto market evolve since you know day one at Gemini, but also the client base and, and who Gemini is serving? How has that changed over the last few years? Yeah, so like the general market, it's interesting, right? Like I, I think about this somewhat often. You know, crypto has only been in the public eye for maybe four years now, right? Like think that Q4 2017 when like people say that Thanksgiving or whatever is when people started talking about crypto and Bitcoin went to 17 grand or 18 grand, whatever that kind of all-time high. The NBC at the bottom right corner every single day. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, that's really when people first heard around about crypto, right? Like, you know, Bitcoin's been around for a while, but it was a small community. Like think pre 2018, 2017, like, everyone knew everyone that was in crypto basically, right? Like there wasn't that many people. It was a couple thousand, like, I don't know, right? Like it wasn't that big. Um, and so that's when people really started like, I mean, I guess there's more than a couple thousand holders, but a couple thousand like builders kind of like, you know, it wasn't that big. And so, you know, it was a nascent asset class at that time, right? Like this was, you know, we entered kind of that crypto winter in mid 2018, I guess for a couple of years, but it's much different now, obviously. Like, um, so the market's developed. I mean, what are we 10x bigger? Like probably more. I mean, I guess pricing is similar to then, but the size of the market, the the brain power, the capital that's here now, it's just it's a completely, completely different thing. So nascent esoteric asset class back then, still a little bit of those kind of features, but more prominent, uh, more known, you know, different use cases today. So and so, you know, you mentioned you started as a finance associate. You're now the chief strategy officer of the firm. So what does that role mean 
and, and what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Um, if you can think of Gemini in like three different maybe factions, we have our technology organization, which kind of encompasses software engineers, product managers. You kind of have like ops area, right? Legal, compliance, risk, kind of functional departments like that. And then uh, what I would consider kind of like the growth part of the organization, which is kind of uh, what I manage. And so kind of a wide swath of, of, of things underneath my purview nowadays, but institutional sales, right? So our institutional business encompassing kind of our prime brokerage through our, our Gemini Fund Solutions, through uh, Bitria, uh, which is our kind of wealth management, RIA, SMA uh, uh, business. So institutional, uh, our international business. So I kind of oversee all of our international hubs from APAC to uh, you know, the EU, Europe region, um, or EMEA, our marketing department, which is kind of performance, social, loyalty, retention, uh, brand, um, our strategy and corporate development team, which does like M&A, does capital markets activities, does uh, ventures through our, our fund and Nifty Gateway. Um, so kind of the growth parts of the business, right? The commercial sides of our business, uh, basically getting people onto the Gemini platform using our products. So let's let's talk specifically about one of the initiatives that you've been involved with, uh, which is the launch of Gemini Frontier Fund. Uh, so what is what is the Frontier Fund? Why do you start it, and what do you what are you really looking to invest in? Yeah, Gemini Frontier Fund is an early stage crypto uh, venture vehicle, right? So this is um, balance sheet backed, so no outside investors or LP. Uh, based venture fund and we invest across the crypto spectrum. So we're pretty agnostic to kind of vehicle types, whether that be a, a SAFT or a token or an NFT or geography, like where we're kind of uh, geographic and like structure agnostic, uh, basically zero to one kind of crypto companies seed to series A with some ability to kind of do some pro rata or follow on um, maybe 50 or so portfolio companies under the frontier fund at this stage. So last year was pretty high velocity capital. I think this year, obviously like the markets have kind of cooled a little bit, like private stage, private companies have kind of cooled. So diligence processes are a little longer, kind of a little more intensive uh, valuations have come down a little bit, but so early stage crypto, most of it is equity. Um, but we, you know, we do token deals. Um, we also do kind of like, interesting uh, things of kind of NFTs and kind of what I would call like participation, kind of like on-chain participation within within the crypto ecosystem. Maybe like how we like view the fund, like where it came from, like the impetus to like the fund was like, one is like we see incredible deal flow, right? So we had, I don't know, hundreds of employees at Gemini when we spun up the fund, like we have people that kind of live on, you know, the bleeding edge within, you know, they're in Discord all day, they're in DeFi, they're doing like really cool, interesting uh, activities and we see incredible deal flow. We also have our founders who have been in the space for a long time who get you know incredible opportunities too they also do investments through their kind of personal vehicle and family office and so we were getting this incredible deal flow and it was kind of like an like one of these things is like you know why wouldn't we kind of take advantage of like these opportunities that we see the original thesis for the fund was like pure strategic so it wasn't return focused obviously like you know the thesis would be like we'd make great investments and like they would return like on like a you know uh, an MOSC or, or you know kind of basis um but you know at the time it was more strategic it was kind of like does this kind of help gemini and like our thesis on like the crypto market and our business right like is there partnership opportunities here does this increase like uh, our geographic presence does this lead to an acquisition does this lead to kind of like are they building technology that we don't have expertise in are are you know they building technology that 
you know, we don't have kind of bandwidth to, to build, but like we are really interested in, right? So like there's this very much strategic, small check size, early stage, uh, vehicle. Now that's obviously like changed and grown. So like our check sizes have grown up, have grown up. Like our, our thesis has changed a little are bit you, to like be return focused. Can, can you or have you ever led around? No, we could. Uh, we don't need to. We're not constrained by the amount, like the check size that like we have to deploy or like ownership percentage that like we would want to like have. Right. So like we can be pretty flexible. Um, we can go up or down on check size. We've never led around because we don't theoretically need to, um, but we could, sure. Yeah, we could do anything. Very cool. And, and by the way, full disclosure, we are very lucky at the Tide to, to, to count Marshall and the Frontier Fund as investors. So cannot, cannot speak highly enough. Had to, throw, had to throw that in there, but uh, they're awesome to work with. And, and actually, when he says strategic, they're actually helpful. So there are a lot of people out there that will tell you that they're helpful, but they're not. But but I, but I, you know, I can, I can, I can attest to, to Marshall and the team being helpful and actually constantly trying to send us stuff and help us with different things. So in addition to venture, uh, one of the things that I've always given you credit for is I think that you've done the best job at M&A in the space. You, you pointed out that I missed two companies in, in, you know, my list that I had off the top of my head earlier, but you bought Nifty Gateway in, in 2019 when n- no one was talking about NFTs. Uh, you bought Shardex for MPC Tech. You know, I would say relatively early, I think a few years ago already, OmniX, uh, you know, to kind of move into Prime, uh, Bitria, I was going to say BitRIA, so I'm glad you said it earlier, you know, Bitria to, you know, to offer, you know, uh, services to advisors. And you mentioned earlier BlockRides, which is credit cards. And I, I guess there's another one, which I'm not familiar with called Guesser. So would love to kind of, you know, have you walk through those acquisitions, how you think about acquisitions, you know, and, and kind of your strategy there. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate the kind words. Also, yeah, one of our favorite portfolio companies. And so if anyone listening hasn't done a demo with Josh on the tie and SigDev, please do so. It's an incredible product and we're happy investors in your business. So yeah, um, M&A, you know, is interesting. So I have a background in M&A. I, you know, I did M&A uh, for a few years kind of in an advisory uh, capacity. We did some acquisitions at Barstool. We acquired Rough and Rowdy, right? That uh, boxing uh, match company, which is kind of funny. I didn't um, realize that was an acquisition. Yeah. I, I, I never realized. What when did you guys? Yeah. Acquire? Oh gosh, I don't know. Twenty seventeen. Okay. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. So we've done six acquisitions to date uh, here. Our first being Nifty Gateway. I think you might like see a little bit of like a a, a pattern in the story of M and A here. So um, basically, small teams outsized impact, right? Like we found these kind of opportunities um, and we put the power of kind of Gemini behind them and kind of our infrastructure and our support and kind of let these founders be founders still even within the Gemini organization and grow their businesses, right? And so Nifty Gateway, obviously like an incredible, uh, an incredible kind of acquisition, an incredible team. Also, the founders are also uh, identical twins, which is kind of interesting. I remember that new story coming out on... uh you know, on the, on the announcement, I remember there was like, there was a news story about the twins with the twins for the picture. I still remember that. Yeah. And, and look, you know, um, having that foresight, I mean, Cameron and Tyler, right. Like really early into social media, really early into crypto, you know, uh, you know, they were, they were the, the initial, um, kind of people that kind of brought Nifty Gateway, uh, to Gemini as well. So, you know, we were introduced to Nifty Gateway through Boost VC. So Tim and Adam Draper, right? Adam Draper's uh, Boost VC. And 
they were in one of their like cohort classes and we were introduced to the Nifty Gateway team. And, you know, at the time, you know, I've said this before, like, I think like the, the, the actual like phrase NFT, like, I don't even think that had been spoken into existence more than like a thousand times at that point. Like it was like, it was pretty early, right? Like crypto kitties existed at this point or was this pre crypto kitties? I th- no, I think CryptoKitties existed, but it was really it. Like I remember when we acquired Nifty Gateway, like they had Gods Unchained NFTs like on the on the platform. Like I remember buying them and like not knowing, not really knowing what it was. Like half the company hadn't heard of an NFT. I mean, yet, I mean to be fair, I remember that. I met with you basically the week that you had done it or you announced it or something like that, and you were telling me about it, and I was sitting there confused. I was like, why are why is he buying this digital? you know, image store, I don't get it. And, uh, you know, you've clearly proven, you, you and the Winkle Voss twins have clearly proven me and many others wrong on that one. So, Yeah, on, on that one, right, conviction in the founders, Duncan and Griffin, the, the, the founders, you know, incredible kind of vision that they had themselves, right? And so conviction in the founders, kind of this like new use case for crypto, right? So like think about the crypto ecosystem. NFTs are three years old, DeFi's, two and a half, three years old, like, like main, like core DeFi DAOs are a year and a half, two years old. Like this stuff is still so kind of like early. Right. And so, you know, this was one of the first things that we saw with use case, like real utility in the crypto ecosystem um, at the time. And we made a bet on it. Right. And so um, it's, it's, it's a massive property. Nifty Gateway is an awesome platform. It's one of the best kind of places to get kind of high-end digital art. It's also like a really easy onboarding experience and really easy way for people to kind of enter like the space themselves. And so that's an incredible uh, platform. They just launched this new uh, feature last week, a massive feature called Publishers, where people can actually kind of self-service, create and launch kind of NFT kind of uh, drops on their own. So really exciting product features coming out of Nifty Gateway. Nifty Gateway kind of, it holds its own in the industry. I mean, it's a a powerful kind of... uh, OG, really well-built uh, business. So we're super happy with that. We love that team. We love that product. We continue to kind of integrate it closer and closer with Gemini. And it's got, you know, we have huge potential there. And so, you know, let's talk about a couple of the other ones. So, you know, another one was Shardex. Uh, would love to kind of, you know, hear that because, you know, that's become a, a critical piece of, of Gemini's custody infrastructure, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, we have you know, what I would consider some of the best custody uh, solution in the world, right? Like, uh, you know, it's eight years in the making. Uh, the most important thing at Gemini is keeping our customers' assets safe, right? And so that's what we do really, really good. And so we have a incredibly robust cold storage solution and a hot wallet, cold wallet, cold storage solution system for, you know, custodying digital assets on behalf of our users. I mean, we have assets under custody, you know, well into the billions. And so, it's intensive though, right? Like the way that we kind of built it with HSMs and, and, you know, how, how we've kind of built this kind of system is intensive on like the human capital side, right? It's a process to uh, retrieve digital assets, to store keys, to kind of do these kind of things. And so, you know, this was a few years ago, we met this team with some of the best cryptographers we had met, right? Like, and they were building kind of MPC technology. And we kind of see that as this um, kind of next gen uh, crypto solution. And since then, I mean, at the time, there was Curve, there was some folks doing some MPC stuff, but now you see kind of, you know, uh, people come to light, Fireblocks kind of builds on MPC technology, like you see MPC kind of coming into into play, like most recently, but, you know, this was also a very small team at the time. 
the founder uh, was an incredible builder and he had put together this group of cryptographers who I put them on the call with our wallet team. And it was just one of the most fascinating calls ever, right? And it was a little like above my like uh, uh, level on, on, on the nomenclature they were using. And it was just so fascinating watching them talk. And they were both so excited. And the deal just made a ton of sense. And, and it saves a lot of money for Gemini operationally. And it's also going to be an incredible product for our institutional clients who kind of need um, liquidity, but they still need that kind of security as well. And so that's kind of the the, the thesis behind that, that Shardex acquisition. That was the third acquisition I think we had done. The crazy thing is I was looking, I was looking, you know, back in the past of that you guys made that acquisition or publicly announced it about a week after the, the announcement of BitGo getting acquired, which is really funny how, I mean, you probably feel like that was years ago and now finally the whole BitGo Sega just ended. So, uh, kind of funny in crypto, in crypto, in crypto time, it's a very long time, but it was, you know, th this other acquisition was still still in the works, which is kind of funny. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, I couldn't even tell you the date of off the top of my head. Of when I, I we Googled did it. It was, like, it was, like, it was yeah. January 21 where I think you guys announced it. So, yeah. So, you know, look, when, when you announce deals, like at, at least at Gemini, we, we typically don't announce things until like we've kind of really closed. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like um, so you hear things. I think Bitcoin's an example. Right before kind of like the closure. Um, so deals get worked on and thought about and the thesis is built sometimes a year before, right? Like, um, you know, you, you kind of build your thesis, you get executive buy-in, you kind of like, you know, run the gamuts and there's negotiation, there's deal documents, like the process of like, of a purchase, right? Is can be lengthy at times, even three months before is, is I don't think we've even done one within 90 days. Like there's a lot of work that goes behind that announcement, right? Like, up to sometimes a year of, of work and diligence and kind of the whole process. And so what, what would you say has been your most successful acquisition? Uh, I think I know the answer to that. If you're, if you're going to going to make a claim and then are there anything that you, is there anything that you missed that you just, that you just live with that pains you? So I'll answer the miss thing. No, I don't think so. I think we've done quite well. Like I'm, I'm really happy with kind of our, our thesis, how we do the deals and, and the outcomes that we've had so far. Right. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, we haven't done a hundred deals, right. I think when you get into like that kind of range where you're true serial acquirers over like a prolonged period of time, like there's going to be some misses. You, you, you well, hear by stories of like, I meant, I meant decisions where you made, you made a decision not to buy something and you should have. Oh, gotcha. No, no, not not on anything you oh, acquired, yeah. but on things that you regret not making an offer on or not pushing harder on. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I'll speak to that. I won't name names, maybe, uh, but oh, there's a there's some awesome ones that like I sometimes like lay in bed like thinking about like maybe maybe the tie when I met you in in late 2018 when you were maybe a one man show at the time that was my kind of deal back then. I would have loved that. <laughs> no, um, so what's the most successful M and I mean, look. We've you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to, yeah. uh, you don't have to. It depends on how you view things too, right? Like every, everything's really interesting, like BlockRise. So the second acquisition we did was we, we come, you know, as a business, we decided that we were going to launch this credit card and subsequently we're going to acquire a company to help us. And we acquired this company called BlockRise who had this incredible founder, this guy, Thomas Harrison. Um, and, and we made a big bet on that. And BlockRise is another Gemini credit card. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty large business within, within the Gemini ecosystem today, you know, that's a great kind of retail product. It's kind of 
transactional base, like crypto trading transactional base agnostic, right? Like people still spend cards, whether crypto is popular or not kind of thing, right? So it's one of these kind of revenue diversification plays. It's got incredible synergies, you know, and I hate saying that word, like within the ecosystem of Gemini as well, right? And so we love that product. We love that card. That was an incredible acquisition. So uh, obviously Nifty Gateway is, is Nifty Gateway. Shardex is not so much a commercial product, as more of like it, it, it built a new foundational layer within our infrastructure and it helps our clients, right? With, with that. Uh, but it's not necessarily like a commercial thing at this time, right? At this point in time, it was more to, to kind of help build within our infrastructure for the first kind of version one. After that, Guesser. Guesser is interesting. Guesser was a predictions platform built on Augur. Um, it was kind of these four Solidity devs um, at the time. It was more kind of like an aqua hire. They kind of were building within DeFi, within Gemini, focusing on Gemini dollar, focusing kind of within like native integrations for yield type products, just general DeFi, but incredible Solidity devs. They actually came out of the same cohort class from Draper as Nifty Gateway. And so when I found that out, I was like, oh, got to, you know, that's that's an extra extra one there to... to make a decision on, but no, um, gosh, who we made another acquisition Omni and Act. that would have been Omni. So, oh yeah. So the two big ones. So maybe like, as I spoke earlier, kind of like, as you kind of see my thesis, right. It was kind of these small teams with big impact. Right. And we kind of did that earlier days. Prices were more appropriate. Team sizes were a little bit smaller. Obviously, yeah, what like, was the biggest kind of, acquisition in terms of number of people that you brought on? Probably Omniax. Um, which was the last kind of deal. So at the beginning of this year, we did two deals, right? We announced them a week after each other. We acquired a company called Bitrio, which is a wealth management platform for RIAs and SMAs to uh, connect their clients to the, directly to the underlying using Gemini infrastructure. Incredible business. Uh, we have, you know, uh, high conviction around kind of that massive kind of RIA uh, platform and having them gain exposure to uh, crypto. Also OmniX. OmniX is... At its core, kind of order management, uh, portfolio management, uh, execution service provider, right? And that's the core of Gemini Prime, right? Gemini Prime is kind of this inclusive institutional grade platform with a multitude of different things through financing, through kind of order management, through electronic OTC trading, OTC, and all those kind of products uh, put together. So that was probably the biggest, as you see, right? Like the earlier deals, it's kind of hard to scale, right? Like you you can only find those kind of gems like ever so often, but like deal sizes go up, similar to like the Frontier Fund, right? Like the size of the teams go up, the deals go up. As the market kind of shifts, it's harder to kind of find those kind of smaller teams at kind of like smaller kind of um, pricing, right? And so um, we've we've grown. And so we've already closed two deals this year. We ran those concurrently. We have a small corp dev team here at Gemini, typically don't use outside advisors. We use kind of uh, some legal counsel and internal for diligence, negotiation, valuation, everything, uh, except kind of final deal docs that we'll use counsel for. Um, but yeah, run every deal so far in-house with a small team. It was me for uh, the most part. And then one other person on my team um, who joined last year who helped me close on the Exhibitria. So that's kind of where we are today. And so I think that actually lends well into my next question, which is, you know, private markets were getting ridiculous. They have since corrected very hard. Do you think that is a permanent correction? Uh, and do you think that valuations continue to compress in the short and long run uh, for, you know, equity uh, crypto deals, you know, across a number of different stages? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I can look at it from Gemini ourselves, right? We did our first financing ourselves last year. Uh, we had never raised capital before until Q4 of last year, kind of like into that kind of upswing. And so we, we, we did that ourselves, but we also run a fund, right? So we have the Gemini Frontier Fund. And, you know, like I said earlier in this conversation, we were really high velocity last year. And this year we've kind of toned it down. I mean, I've seen valuations come down, deal you know, diligence processes are getting I mean, what, longer. What do you think the average percentage change in valuation is across the board? Like, what, what are you seeing? I know it's different depending in, in on like the new seed and, companies or like, I mean, private. I mean, look at the public markets, well, let's take, right? Let's, like, take, let's take new, let's start with new seeds. And then I'm curious for like growth stage crypto businesses. New seeds, I mean, 50% maybe, right? Like I saw, um, I saw a safe come in. Someone was raising like a million and a half on seed at a uh, 10 million cap with a discount. And, you know, I haven't seen that in a long time, right? You know, those are those are deals you did not see last year, right? I mean, you were seeing seed caps at 30 million, 40, 50 million, sometimes 100 million, uh, you know, raising 10 million seed at 100 million cap, right, on the safe. You know, those are, you know, that was, it was euphoric, right, for a little while there. And so we're seeing that come down, right? So our velocity uh, has has drastically slowed down. I mean, we're still seeing a lot of deals. We're diligencing a lot of deals, but we're, we're, we're you know, I don't know. I think maybe we've done, we've cut two checks in the last two months versus like, you know, a, a, a deal a week or something like that we did last year, right? And so things have slowed down. Valuations have come down, but you are still seeing some, some large scale layer ones maybe that have come out. And I think that those kind of deals maybe had been structured a while ago and kind of it's, where you feel like you're, 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 you're hitting on the mist in labs, which just, you know, came out today as, as one example. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I saw that number. It wasn't that crazy. I think it was um, two or three I, billion. That's a pretty big oh, number. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't look at that uh, opportunity, so I, I, I can't speak to it. Um, but there you go. I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, with layer ones coming at there, like it drastically reduces like venture returns, right? Like when I look at like deals and it's like, what is like the profile of this business that can 10 X, like can this business 100 X for me, right? Like at seed stage, like I'm really trying to like accomplish returns like that. Right. And so, um, you know, when you see a layer one at 3 billion diluted, it's what like, is the upside? Exactly. What is the, upside? yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Is, is this the next, and then what is like the upside Solana? for employees as well that are getting issued tokens at that strike price, right? You know, potentially, right? Or, or I mean, maybe they're getting just just straight tokens, but if they're getting any equity in the business, right? And there's some sort of strike on the option or anything else, right? Like, is there actually any upside for the for the employees? Yeah, unlaunched layer one um, at a high valuation is 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 tough. It's interesting. I think people are kind of grasping on the fact that like maybe this is the next kind of like true alt layer one that like you know supersedes kind of you know, the avalanches or Solanas of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely interesting, but with private markets compressing, you've, you've, you've made a couple of acquisitions. You made six acquisitions before, uh, you know, there are, are many companies in the market that have ever decreasing balance sheets and that are struggling. Some of them actually have great product. Others probably don't, right. You know, some have struggled with product market fit. Some are just you know, some are servicing retail investors and in, in a bear market, there's just a lot less retail activity. So I'm curious as to how you think of M&A strategy uh, in a market like this. 
Yeah. So this is, this is like one of the fun parts of like when you're, when you're, you know, doing M&A, right? Like these kind of like uh, environments are kind of interesting, right? And so it gives purchasers more leverage um, than sellers. And so it's, it's interesting time. And like, I, I could talk about our M&A thesis like a little bit, how it exists today. Um, but look, we've, we've seen some stuff, right? So there's some distress scenarios out there right now, right? Like we've taken a look at some of these opportunities, nothing really that like fits our thesis at the time, you know, and those were kind of, there, there were certain actions in the market that kind of like led to these scenarios. So that's not necessarily like bear market uh, scenario, right? Which is like companies that didn't, you know, didn't find product market fit, didn't build a big balance sheet and had high burn and, you know, they might not make it through, right? And so I don't think we're there yet. I haven't seen too many opportunities there yet, but you have to assume like, eh, you know, we're coming if, if, if this market prolongs, like obviously like we haven't seen like this V shape recovery. I don't think personally that we're in this like prolonged bear. I just don't. I, I just think like the capital that's here, the brain power that's here, like the things that are being built, like crypto is here to stay. It, it, it's not going anywhere. You know, the digital like age is here and like this pay, like this is like a layer of that world. And so, but with that said, you know, um, there's going to be opportunities, right? And so there's, you're going to see some of the people that have kind of big balance sheets that have these kind of opportun- opportunities to kind of acquire that'll start happening. And so we look at all sorts of things. I mean, like you, you, you can acquire companies for a myriad of different reasons, right? Like um, whether that be regulatory, right? You might, you know, uh, want to acquire someone with the licenses that you need to operate that may take two years for you to get or something of that nature or jurisdictionally, right? Like you might want to... Uh, uh, expand through acquisition, right? And so you're looking at a new market and it's just easier to kind of acquire into there, have a team already built, have a product already kind of in place. You could do kind of customer acquisition, right? So instead of, you know, going out and, 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 you know, playing the cat game in consumer finance here, like you could acquire something that has a large user base and try to convert them into, into your own, right? Maybe, you know, uh, when we use some coin market cap go, or maybe Blockfolio, even things of that nature, right? Where there's these kind of like pools of people that like you could uh, acquire into. Then there's product based, right? Like if, if, if you know, obviously product. Like at Gemini, we try to build everything internally if we can. Like I think that it's kind of like bandwidth that kind of runs up. It's it's speed the market and it's bandwidth that like would force us to look outside to acquire product, but you could also acquire for kind of assets or revenue or even a kind of like things. We don't really do that. We're not there yet. Our thesis kind of will change over time. Like, you know, we have great product breadth as it exists today, but like, as there's kind of like other things, like we might start looking at jurisdictional kind of things. We don't really need to do by regulation. I think, you know, we have that kind of model built well within Gemini and ourselves, but, you know, looking at customers, looking at kind of expansion and that's kind of like small though, right? So like, you're going to see, early stage companies that, you know, ha- might have great product, but didn't really get it into market yet and, and, and weren't there and they're going to kind of get, get wiped out here. You're also probably like, I think, I think this M&A consolidation, like broad ex- consolidation has been like a, t- a topic that people have spoken to. You haven't really seen it too much. You've seen a little bit with the distress scenarios, but like there was actions that led there. Like those weren't happening without those kind of like other actions, right? And so you haven't seen large maybe Bico, but that didn't close. And that was the largest acquisition that would have happened, I think, in the crypto space by like notional value, right? Um, so you haven't really seen mass consolidation at like the large scale level yet. It will happen, sure. Like th- these kind of things will kind of happen. Um, so you can think of like large, older companies, maybe some 
bigger exchanges, maybe some of these like other players that like might consolidate at some point, like it might make sense. You don't really see it right now. And then you're going to see kind of bear market flush out kind of smaller companies and you're going to see um, businesses kind of acquire into those at like a more of a like, rapid place. And that could be, you know, for the reasons I mentioned before, but sometimes it might just be like acquiring and, and things of that nature, just not letting talent kind of dissipate. And so you actually brought something up very quickly in there that I want to hit on, which is playing this consumer finance CAC game. So I'm curious, how much do CAC, does CAC vary over time, you know, over time and, and through cycles in crypto, right? Like how, how much different is, is cost of acquiring a user when Bitcoin's at all time highs in November of 2021 versus today? Not, not in terms of a dollar value, but in terms of just like, per, like how much is that swinging like from a percentage perspective? Like the numbers always swing, I guess, right? I think the more interesting thing to think about in a cyclical market like crypto around customer acquisition costs is more on like when and how you deploy, right? Like, you know, deploying into uh, positive momentum is much better than deploying cash right now because you're, you're, people aren't like interested, right? And so like you're, you're spending more money for lower value users versus actually spending into kind of a ramp. Um, or, you know, into a, a upcycle of the market and acquiring high value users for lower dollars, right? So we've kind of, you know, we've done all sorts of experiments over the years. We've done, you know, performance based, we've done out of home, you know, we, we haven't gone the route that some other players in our space have gone with kind of big brand deals and things of that nature. It, it just hasn't you been guys our have style, a soccer right? team, right? Don't you have a, don't you have a soccer team somewhere? Real Bedford, um, they are the smallest, biggest soccer team in the world. They're awesome. Uh, Peter McCormick from the, the What Bitcoin Did podcast is the owner of that team. It's a uh, small local team in in the the suburbs of London. I'm, I don't know how soccer works, but whatever tier is the lowest tier you could possibly be, that is this team. But we're but we have conviction in this team and we're going to have a Ted Lasso story here and it's going to, uh, they're going to make it. it to the, the champions. I love it. I love it. So they're it big. Is, so. so, you know, when, when everyone's going out here, when crypto.com is spending billions of dollars, or whatever they did on, you know, the Staples center, you know, we have, uh, you know, an underdog story by a Marshall and the Gemini team, right. You know, going to win the premier league in a few years. Yes. Uh, real Bedford. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch. They're actually doing great this season. So, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so let's talk about Gemini more broadly. I mean, I know we've, we've, we actually have talked about Gemini incredibly broadly, but you know, when you first joined Gemini, I, I think it's fair to say it was just an exchange. I don't think there was much else there at that time. Now Gemini's got an exchange, prime brokerage, RIA services, credit card. I mean, there's so many different things that, that, you know, that you've kind of covered. So what are the what would you say is like the bread and butter or like the core areas of focus and what are kind of the major differentiators, right? If somebody was going to come to you and say, Hey, how is Gemini different than I'm not going to name any other names, but you know, exchange a B or C or company a B or C in this space. Like, you know, what, what would you kind of highlight? Yeah. Maybe I'll start by saying, I don't think this is a winner takes all environment, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of players that have, uh, certain specialties and certain things to service different customers and clients. And um, so it's not a winner take all. Like, look at bulge bracket banking, look at, you know, the world as it exists today, the traditional brokerages to like credit card businesses, like all these kind of things. There's always competition and it's healthy and it's good and people kind of carve that. So it's not a winner take all environment. 
yes, you know, we were an exchange and custodian basically, right? Like, um, that's what we had. We had Bitcoin and ETH trading spot and we were, we were a custodian, right? And now we have a whole breadth of products, right? I mean, you know, what we want to do is empower the individual, right? And so, you know, we obviously believe in the long-term validity of crypto and what it brings. I mean, the novelty of self-sovereignty and all these kind of interesting things. Like, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's world-changing stuff in my opinion, right? And in our opinion. And so we have this incredibly long-term view, you know, a hundred year business, like we're here forever kind of play, like, you know, the ups and downs. I mean, we've been through these market cycles, Cameron and Tyler, they've been in, in, in this industry for quite some time. Like we're focused on the long term, right? I mean, we're here, we're here for the yeah, long term. I think it's play, pretty so. funny. Everyone on Twitter always talks about like this, you know, this, this meme, like, oh, if you bought Bitcoin in 2010, 2011, there's no way you would have, you know, hodled through all of this. And, you know, everyone forgets that Tyler and Cameron have, I mean, they're probably the world's best hodlers. Probably, right? I mean, other than maybe Satoshi. Um, but, but no, I mean, yeah, they have. I'm, they have high conviction. It's pretty incredible. Their story is really, really interesting. It's really awesome. It, it's hard to, it's hard to like not have you know it, it's kind of like it's one of these scenarios where it's like you have to respect what they've done right it's like it's 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 too too cool so yeah and and sorry just to get back to to your point differentiation yeah and uh, yeah differentiation look it's not a winner take all gemini's kind of always been kind of this trust security compliance first business right like that is our ethos that is our core it's fastest tur- tortoise in the race kind of model right different from some competitors and you know there's exchanges in southeast asia there's up and comers there's people that have done things differently over time and it's like it's interesting and i can look at innovation and i can look at people who move really fast and build incredible products and look they're helping bring people into this industry at all like right rising tide lifts all boats i mean it's quite interesting like you know when we were raising our 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 financing around like um support from the industry of like other people that like you could consider competitors who like wanted to be part of it right and so it's kind of really cool and interesting to see that i mean i think the one thing you guys do well is you do that is really conveyed in the branding right in that like when people ask me why gemini is different i actually i was curious if you were going to have a different answer than that but i say it's actually a platform you can trust and i think that's the the you've never tried to get across that we have the most assets we have infinite leverage and infinite products, but it is like, hey, put your money with us. We're building a compliant business that's working with the regulators. That is, you know, where you can trust the custody of your assets. We'll we'll, we'll get insured, right? I mean, that, that's how I think of Gemini, and it, it sounds like you're you're kind of in the same boat. I mean, yeah, that's what it is, right? Like, we didn't launch until we had our trust charter with the DFS, right? Like, we're a New York State Department of Financial Services licensed business right i mean we have annual audits we have capital reserve requirements we're under new york banking law like it's intense uh things that we built we have a massive compliance and legal team i mean we you know put a lot into that right and so it's it you see it shine in 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 the institutional business and you know people call us kind of at the top of the list for a lot of different things and our relationships with regulators you know locally and globally is pretty incredible and people come out and reach out to us like how did you build this how did you think about this like how should we think about this like you know and we're part of that i mean we're the first VASP in ireland you know recently we have uh, partnerships with banks across the globe we have you know multi uh, licenses across the globe you know this is this is kind of what our what we do and you kind of 
sign into that when you become a Gemini customer and when you, when you kind of work for Gemini or invest in Gemini too, right? And so you don't come here unless you kind of believe in that model. And sometimes, you know, it, like when I think about growth, like it, it makes my job a little harder, right? Because I want to do a lot of different things and I want to move really fast and crypto is so dynamic and, it, you know, there's things that I like to do within decentralized finance and things of that nature. And sometimes it's a little harder for me but it's because we build things the right way. We're very thoughtful in how we build things. We work with regulators when we build things, when we launch things. It allows us to kind of build the products we want in a way that we know we're going to, you know, be okay with. So, And so like other exchanges or like every exchange has seen volumes, you know, fall, uh, you know, over the last few months, right? It, you know, it's, it's, it's natural, you know, less people are interested and prices have gone down significantly. So even if people are trading the same number of Bitcoin, Right. The Bitcoin is worth 60 or 70 percent less than it was at, you know, at some point. So how do you plan for and survive a market downturn? You actually said something interesting, which when I'd written that question, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about, which is the credit card business, which I actually thought was pretty interesting about how that's a little bit of a bear market resistant business. But what do you kind of need to do to because to, everyone and everyone who's been in the space for a while you know, knows that the market looks like this. Right. Or at least has historically looked like that. Hopefully over time it goes like that and then eventually it shoots up and you know goes to the moon and we never come down but you know how do you how do you you know you know rationally plan for a bear market and how do you emerge as a, as, as a winner out of this you know this this recent downturn yeah and so I, th I think what we've done over the last few years is revenue diversification right and so um you know i look at some comps right and i see that like transaction based is still like a large part of their kind of revenue composition where ours is uh, transaction based revenue isn't i mean it's still the leading a uh, piece of our stack, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not like a, like a massive piece of it, right? Like it's, it's a big piece of it still, but we're doing a lot to like diversify, whether that's through staking, whether that's through custody, whether that's through the credit card, whether that's through Nifty Gateway, whether that's through stablecoin and interest expenses, whether that's through financing through our prime brokerage desk, right? We've kind of built this kind of product suite that's, uh, kind of sticky and sometimes price agnostic. You know, look, we still make money when crypto goes down. I mean, we make money off, we like volatility. Like, obviously, we, you know, we like it when it goes up and to the right, right? Um, but, you know, there's still, you know, uh, money to be made transaction-wise on the way down. But, you know, think of like, you know, traditional equities markets. Like, you know, most of, they were able to kind of go to zero fees because the fees are a smaller piece of their kind of composition, right? Financing was a big piece of it, lending, asset management, things of that nature, which allowed them to kind of do that to draw people in. And there's fast followers in the industry once that kind of happened, right? And so we've been building towards revenue diversification. I mean, we can't be relying on fees forever. Like we saw what happened in the equities markets. We have to kind of uh, be prepared for that. So businesses like the credit card is awesome. We love the credit card. It's like one of the best kind of like bring people into crypto. You don't need to know when to buy, how much to buy. You go about your daily business with behaviors that you're used to, like swiping a credit card and you kind of earn crypto. I mean, I buy crypto every single day, many times, right? When I buy my coffee, you know, it, it, the card is really cool. I don't know if you have it, but it's it's pretty awesome. I'm um, still on the wait list. I still, you you got to figure out how to get oh, me out. I got it. Yeah, I got to get you. Yeah. So, you know, those behaviors are still there when people like aren't trading, right? And so, and every swipe actually like puts, puts more volume and liquidity like into the exchange as well too. And so, and you can also like, you know, put your rewards right into uh, a yield-based product, right? Or you could sell them, you could transfer them. You get actually instant rewards up to 3% on over 75 cryptos on Gemini. It's, it's a really cool card. Um, but those kind of products are sticky and they, 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 you know, aren't reliant necessarily on transaction fees. So I actually have a, a kind of a similar and related question. 
Um, you know, you mentioned traditional um, exchanges rely, you know, don't really rely at all on transactional volume. But one of the things that they rely very heavily on, like NYSE and NASDAQ and others and CME have really big data businesses. You know, in crypto to date, you know, exchanges primarily have made all that data available for free via API. And I'm curious how you guys, or if you guys have really started to think about the opportunity around the monetization of, of, of data. I mean, my thought is generally exchanges are making it primarily available for free to attract liquidity because there's just such a large number of exchanges. But I, I imagine over time that, 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 that number consolidates. We, we thought about it a little bit right now where we're, we're giving it for free. I think that like the, the, like, the grand vision of like crypto, at least within like the capital markets is like this 24 seven global capital market like environment, right? Where people can uh, trade tokenized securities, uh, crypto uh, items, you know, globally 24 seven, right? Like people in, uh, you know, Thailand can buy a share of Apple stock at, you know, any time and they don't have to work on like these like localized exchanges uh, that have seven counterparties and things end up at the DTCC and everyone takes a spread on the way there kind of thing. Like, um, I, you know, interesting, like podcasts I listened to recently on Invest at the Best where, you know, um, SPF was talking about, you know, how he views kind of this, this traditional equities world and how, you know, they've recently put equities in, into their product. And I agree like completely with it. Like this is really convoluted, insane model that uh, will eventually like be broken up. Right. And so I think that's where we're going. I think that's like what will happen. It's probably going to take a little bit of time, but you know, that's kind of the model that I see. Cool. And yeah, you know, I got a bunch of questions left. So let's go like, let's speed run through these. Cause I I'm, I'm curious, yeah. you know, so biggest areas of growth for the firm, you know, what are you most excited about? Yeah, credit card staking. I think staking is really interesting as we list more proof stake assets and and getting people into kind of earning yield on their products through kind of the staking, I think is is really interesting. Have you guys thought about hedging that business? Because that's the question I always have with staking businesses. I'm like, well, it's kind of ish like an index fund, right? Where people are giving you money and you're kind of, you kind of have some market risk, right? You know, just with the assets going down. Do you guys think about hedging the staked assets or are you basically just like, look, however the market does, we're going to get, you know, a percentage of that in rewards? No, it's an interesting thing. No, we have thought about that. I mean, some clients have asked like how, how they can like hedge out and like what would be the model they would uh, basically sell the future. And so they basically just get the yield only and like aren't price agnostic. And so, no, we've thought about that. We, we don't have that yet. I mean, we're waiting for the merge. We, we actually don't have eth available for staking on gemini today it's coming soon we're kind of still tightening that product up so you know you talked about um gemini prime we've talked about institutions a bit um you know as more traditional institutions um try to move into the space what do you think the major challenges that they have and the services that they need uh, are to, to to boost adoption and to make that process easier yeah i mean i think ux is something i think people are used to kind of like I mean, the UX in, in TradFi is really something. I mean, just even just looking at Bloomberg Terminal today, it's like, it's just interesting how that's still the model, right? And people that use like Swift and people that use kind of these like legacy systems. I mean, oh man, it's like, I, I, mean, I, like, I used to know how to write Swift. It's dreadful. The Swift book is like a thousand. So I worked in post-trade settlement tech out of college. There's like, I had like a Swift book, like a thousand pages long going through to try to find Swift code. It is horrendous. I spent a weekend at Gemini once 
trying to build a model reading Swift documentation for a large custodian um, partnership that we that we did. It was it was crazy. But so so UX right and like you know f- solving those obviously compliance trust risk like all these kind of things like those are like the main questions like when we do DDQs I mean we do hundreds of DDQs a year basically and like you know the questions are usually the same you know it's it's complexity right like these are just things that people haven't heard of right like you you ask people how like to explain crypto or to explain Bitcoin like you get so many different answers like some people just have no idea how, even how to articulate it yet right so you need to be able to speak language you need to be able to clearly articulate kind of these products these features like how these things work you need to do demos and you know you have to like set up two factor authentication like they've never like most like people haven't done that before like there's all these kind of things and then think of like you know trying to engage in DeFi um, as an institution and you you know you can't have your analysts with metamask accounts and private keys written on a piece of paper in their journal you know when you're moving size right it's like you know you need solutions you know people try to set up a hardware wallet i mean try to set you know it's hard even for crypto native folks like it's always like a little like uh when i'm set you know when i'm setting up a new one or, or, or moving assets even when i move assets on chain today like i've been in this space for a while like every time i click that oh I'm my always, i have such a panic attack i still yeah quadruple check that it's the right address even if i copy paste it yeah so you know um there's still these kind of barrier barriers to entry um, but you know, it's, it's education first and foremost, and that's institutions and, or kind of, uh, retail type clients. All right. Couple more here. It's the fundamental value podcast have to ask you about fundamental. So how do you define fundamentals for, uh, you know, digital assets and how has your understanding of fundamental as- uh, fundamentals changed over time? Gosh, I don't know if I have a good answer for you on this one fundamentals are hard for this asset class right like i i i I look at gold i look at supply and demand i look at like open interest i look at like different like things that like i can somewhat relate to like you could look at charting you can like look at different pieces but at the end of the day it's like really interesting with this asset class is is it's kind of uh not backed by certain things and so momentum and things of that nature i don't know if i have a good answer for you there okay reason i I'd, I'd i'd love to hear how you think about it i guess Oh, I, I mean, I also don't really think there are fundamentals in this as a class, which is the whole kind of joke about the podcast name. So, look, I think there are certain there things. Go. We're Sorry. actually working on some really cool things. I got to show you this, but we're trying to pioneer some new things like cohort analysis on chain and looking at like if a user goes to adapt in month one, how much they come back in like month two, month three, month four, month five. So how well these applications retain their users fees paid to like try to back out like an LTV of a user on chain. So we're like trying to work on quasi models, but obviously the fees don't always accrue to the token holder. It's different for every single type of token. How do you even consider somebody like to be using something? So like we've been actually playing around with a ton of GameFi stuff to figure out like, is it actually easier for GameFi to back this data out? But like, what is a transaction? It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's impossible, which is why I host this podcast so I can you know, bring people on the podcast that are a lot smarter than me, like you, and pick your brain, right? I mean, that's the whole idea. So, I appreciate. Well, I, appreciate I, I wasn't you, smart uh, enough. I wasn't smart enough to catch the uh, the. Yeah, you, know, you got you got all the rest title. of the questions that that plenty <laughs> of other people wouldn't be able to answer. So, you know, to be fair, you're not a hedge fund manager, right? And a lot of the folks that we ask are so. But 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 with that said, I, I will I will ask you one more token question, which is I've been asking everyone. I like it. Twenty four months. Let's let's actually start. You started at Gemini. There were 100 coins in the top 100 by market cap. This was, what, February 2018 or late 2017 or whatever, right? You know, presumably a lot of those, those are out of the top 100. 
you know, if you take that same time frame, four and a half more years down the line, how many assets do you think are left? Yeah, I mean, I, I bet we could do this easy, right? You could, we could look, uh, we could look. I think from 2018 to right now, the top 100, 90 percent are different. 90 percent are out. It's actually a bit higher high? than you think because a lot of the tokens that were like top 10 are like 80 now. But to your point, a lot of like the top 10 or top 20 are just way, way below where they were. Like EOS is still hanging on for some reason. And there are a few tokens like that. Do you know what the number is? Because I said 90%. Is that too high? I, I, can, I, can, I can tell you right I can tell you right now. This, uh, on SIGDEV? Can you pull it up? I, I, I can't. I, I actually give CoinMarketCap a lot of credit. They have something called CoinMarketCap Historical. And you can mm. go back to a t- particular period of time. I've, I've shouted them out before. All right. So you yes. started... Let's February 2018. Let's just go into there. It was Bitcoin, ETH, XRP, Bitcoin Cash, Cardano, Litecoin. Then it gets a little. Then it gets a little weirder. Neo, Stellar, EOS, NEM, IOTA, Dash, Monero. But it's a lot of the same names. So, a so lot those of guys names, are still in the hundred. They're still there. But still once you start getting to the bottom, right? You start to see like Dentacoin was the fifth yeah, largest one. coin. Um, when you started Dragon Chain. So there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of um, what the bottom is basically all removed, but the top fifty looks pretty similar. Okay, fifty percent. So then, thinking in the future, four years from now, I mean, I guess like using the logic of like the last one, right? The probably top thirty tokens today, they're not scams. Like they're not gonna like die kind of thing. So are they still in the top one hundred? Yes, probably. Meaning. 50% of the tokens in the top 100 won't be there in 2024. All right. So last question, what's your hottest take? Yeah, I, I don't have too many hot takes. I, I saw this in the, in the, I don't know, Bitcoin 500K is programmed, maybe. I think it is. Um, that's my hot take right there. Bitcoin will hit $500,000. Any time frame? Like next five years, next 10 years, next two years, like general, general range. Within 10 years, within 10 years, which I mean, look, if you look at the return profile, then, you know, what are we looking at? Uh, I mean, that's a guaranteed, if that's true, that's a guaranteed like 26, 27 bagger in the next, uh, in the next 10 years. There you go. But I think it's programmed. Uh, it's It's programmed. You heard it here first. So let's end with that. Bitcoin 500K is programmed. So where can listeners uh, find you and find more at, uh, find uh, about more about uh, Gemini's off, uh, offerings? Sure, Gemini.com. Um, you know, go there. Ping me on Twitter uh, at BeardMars, B-E-A-R-D-M-A-R-S. Um, awesome. We'll put those yeah. in the description. Marshall, this was a lot of fun. I, I hope I have the pleasure of bringing you on again in the future. Uh, I know this was the first time you've ever agreed to doing one of these things publicly, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had many opportunities, so I'm, I'm eternally grateful and thank you for, thank, thanks for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. 